I'm, I'm really excited. I don't want you to miss next week. Next week, we have a one day of starting a new season of seasons at our church. Um, we are going to announce and describe and talk through next week how from, from that moment forward, from October, the first month, first week of October, we will be taking seasons um, every four seasons a year to focus on one thing that should be focused on all the time. To focus on one thing that is critical for your faith, that's critical for this church, to really dive in and say, hey, for this entire season, we're focused on X. For this entire season, the entire church is focused on X. From an individual level, from a corporate level, to a small group level, from a Sunday morning service level, we will be focused on four different things throughout the year. And that way we can kind of aim our hearts and minds and be in unity. And so next week I'm going to unpack all that, what those four things are, what we start next um, this first season with, and I'm really, really excited about it. It's going to inform so much about what we're spending our time on, what to be focused on during the holidays. You you just don't want to miss it. It's a special, special um, new way to approach the calendar year at 514 Church. So for those of us that call this place home, this is absolutely critical, absolutely critical. Um, In this series, if you haven't been following along, Uh, We've been talking about how there are certain things that we want in life, like in video games with with Battle Royale, you get these V-Bucks and you buy just things that you want and you don't need any of those things in order to win the game in Fortnite. You don't need them. You just get them because you want them. I mean, like my son just every week is coming home saying, can I get this new skin and can I get this battle pass? And I'm just like, oh, it's just like never ending like of just things that he wants and not things that he needs. And so I've been talking about how for the past uh, the, the past couple of weeks I've been talking about how there are things I see in my role as a pastor that people absolutely need in order to win this thing called life, in order to um, make it through the crossroads or make it through the crisis that life brings. And so uh, we talked through those things. Go back and watch this series. It's been just kind of some of my, um, my most focused uh, messages on critical aspects of life that we have to have intact now and for the future. And if you don't, uh, if you don't have time to do that, then um, I think you're going to miss out. We had an amazing time last week where we talked about wounds. We talked about how God wants to take our wounds and turn them into scars and how we all need to move forward with healing and how you cannot survive certain times and seasons of life if you have open wounds and you haven't gone through a time of healing. You don't want to miss that. And today I want to kind of bring this whole series and specifically that, that message to a close. And speaking of things that you need, um, if, if you don't know this, um, when, when I was growing up, like in the 80s and the 90s, they didn't have Netflix. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have the binge watching that goes on right now. It wasn't the same. What happened is, is great movies, they came out and then a couple of times they would make sequels and then sometimes they would make, make it into a trilogy. And there were some amazing trilogies in the 80s and in the 90s. I mean, obviously starting in the 70s with Star Wars, this amazing trilogy comes out. And then of course, Indiana Jones came out, just amazing trilogy. And then my favorite trilogy of all time is Back to the Future, all right? And I have this like weird, I have this like weird connection to it because his name is Marty and my middle name is Martin. And so I like it when you call me Marty. I don't know why it's weird, but it, I do. It like makes me feel like like it was like purposed in the stars that I would be born during that time of life. Like I, that is like actually what I think. Um, I also think about like things in the refrigerator that are in there alone all night by themselves. Like gosh, I feel bad for them. But like, um, 
in, in Back to the Future, in Back to the Future, like, it's, it, there's, this, there's, this, there's this theme that happens with Marty where he gets into trouble and then he gets pushed to his limit and he has some type of foe throughout the whole movie. Usually it's Biff, but he has different problems that he faces. And at least once in all of the movies, he gets to this point where he obviously draws a line in the sand. And if you cross this line, then he's going to lose his mind. He's going to, like, go crazy. He's going to get angry. He's going to lose control. And it's when someone calls him, anybody know? Chicken. He says, nobody calls me chicken. And every time, and then like, and, and Back to the Future 2, the guy with the thing on his chest is like, turns on, he's like, wah, 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 wah. nobody calls me chicken. His dad says, nobody calls me chicken. His like, great-great-grandfather says, nobody calls me yella. You know what I mean? Like, he cannot be called chicken. And when you call him chicken, when you say that he's afraid, he has this thing inside of him that's like, I have to prove that I am not afraid. And so he does really dumb things because you cross the line. And it's like when you cross his line, when you go over there, it's like that's unforgivable. I am going to come after you. I am going to retaliate. I said it. He says, you call me chicken. Nobody calls me chicken. If you call me chicken, then this is going to happen. And ultimately with Marty McFly, he has this thing where someone crossed the line. And all of us have a thing in our life or two things or three things that are just like this. And this line exists for all of us where people love each other. They say they care about each other. They say that they'll forgive each other. They'll say that they have grace. But then that thing happens. The line gets crossed. And and I've talked to people all the time that will tell me, they'll call me up and they'll go, you know, like it was all fine and then they said this and when they said that, they crossed the line. They crossed the line. And often what that means is Severe breakdown in relationships, severe breakdown in, in some type of system, of an arrangement, whatever it is, they cross the line. I had a great friend several years ago who called me up, and she was in tears. And she said, you know, Joe, I need your help. I need your help. you got to help me. She said, my, my husband kicked our son out of the house. My husband kicked our son out of the house. And... I said, why? And, and she said, because he believes something that, my fa- that, that his dad doesn't believe. And he said it to him. And when he said it to him, he kicked him out. And the son was like 20 years old. And he just kicked him out. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, you're not allowed to live around me. It was this relationship is ending if you believe that. If you say that and you think that, you cross the line. And now I can't forgive you anymore. So what that means is that there was a belief there was an idea that was spoken inside someone's home. A father believed one thing, a son believed another. A son said, I believe this, I think this. And a father said, you cross the line. Now you cross the line. And now our relationship is over. And what I see is in, 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 in so many areas of my life, and we all actually have this if you're honest with yourself, Like, you have this, if you think about politics, like, you have to get very real and you have to focus on you for a second and go, 
There are things that happen to me in my family, things that people say, things that people believe, and I may not say you crossed the line or that crossed the line or they crossed the line, but ultimately, like, as soon as someone does whatever that thing is or they say that thing or they believe that thing, then you, you, just, you just pull away. And in your mind, it's like, I'm, my hand's in the air, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. I'm done with them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'll sit on the opposite side of Thanksgiving, whatever. I mean, I just, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. Now, I'm not talking about abuse and how when that line is crossed, physical, emotional, verbal, continual abuse, there are lines that should never be crossed. And when they're crossed, we need to create boundaries. That's a separate conversation. I just want everyone to hear that very clearly. That's a separate conversation of people breaking these boundaries of healthy boundaries, verbal, emotional, physical boundaries. I'm talking about when someone has a belief or someone might even do something, maybe on an accident or once or twice to someone in certain ways, and I'm not in any way advocating for violence or anything like that, but just when certain relational dynamics break down and we go, because you think that, because you said that, because you did that, you cross the line and you're out. You're out. And I want to share with you today that, like, in Christ, I see that line more so than often causing breakdowns that don't need to exist, especially among people who say they love Jesus. When we say we love Jesus, we're supposed to be the people that extend grace and forgiveness, and we're not supposed to have is this line at all, but we have this line, and it gets crossed, and relationships break down. And usually it's not for like the things that I'm saying you need to have boundaries for, for violence or for vi physical, verbal abuse. Those things need absolute boundaries. They're, they're egregious and intolerable. They're, there's no, nothing right with them ever. It's usually like a political thing or a, a commentary on a family member or a decision that was made about a scheduling thing or something that someone said at work or didn't say at work or a decision or a core belief. It's usually something where we just go, you know what, like I, I'm done with a relationship with you because you and I don't think the same way because that kind of offended me and so now it's over. And it can happen like where if someone gets kicked out of a house and it can happen where like you just kind of kick someone out of your heart. And if you were honest, like some of you in here today, you kick someone out of your heart just because you have some line some belief system, some idea that says they crossed it, now it's over. And there is actually a reality out there that exists that we're called to that's really, really difficult, and it's really, really powerful, and it's really, really restorative, and it's a love that has no line. There is a love that has no line. And the greatest versions of love that we all kind of ascribe to and we all aspire to have are the things that we say, right, and we teach our kids, and these are actually things that are talked about in the Old Testament, right, to love your neighbor as yourself, right, that's a, that's a great kind of love, right, that's called the, the golden rule, to love your neighbor as yourself. So you're supposed to think about what you would like, what would be good for you, and then you're supposed to love people that way. And that's a decent way to start, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. You can get by a lot on love your neighbor as yourself. But the golden rule has a line. It has a line. It has a line where you don't love me the way that I love you. Oh, now you cross the line. And so the golden rule is just not good enough. If you're just always thinking about how you want to be loved and that's how you love, when someone doesn't love you that way, you cross the line. I know lots of people that they state the golden rule as the way we're supposed to love. And usually they state it when someone has crossed the line. Right? They're like, 
you know, I just believe we're supposed to love and forgive. And you know the golden rule, like love, treat your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. They didn't do that to me, so ah, cross the line. It's obviously not, not the, the love that has no line. Well, then there's this like new idea that, that has been talked about. And it's maybe not the newest idea, but it's, it's kind of talked about now as the platinum rule. Anybody know the platinum rule? Take the golden rule, you're thinking about yourself and how to treat people, how you want to be treated. Now you take the platinum rule, and it kind of spins it. It adds like a little bit of empathy, and it says, now I'm going to think about how you would want to be treated. And I'm actually going to try to think about how you want to be loved, and I'm going to love you the way that I think you want to be loved. And that's pretty good. It's pretty good, except it, it also has a line. It also has a line because if you don't understand someone well enough or you can't put yourself in those shoes and then you do something and you cross the line, they're going, you know, you should love me the way I want to be loved. Well, I'm trying. Well, you didn't. Well, so it's decent. Love people the way you want to be loved. Love people the way you think they want to be loved. Those are all decent, but those are loves that have a line. And when Jesus came to this planet, what he did is he took this idea of the golden rule, love as you want to be loved, the idea of the platinum rule, love how other people you think they want to be loved, and he brought a whole new rule. Now, he brought this new rule to a community of people and to a future community of people that had lots of rules, lots of rules. And in one of those rules was this golden rule. And so he says there's this other kind of love, these old commands, this old way to live, and then he actually speaks to his disciples in John, and he says, I am going to give you a new command. In John 13, I'm going to give you a new command. Now, again, he's saying this to a bunch of people who have 10 big commands, all about love, loving your neighbor, loving God, loving people. These people know what love is. They have the idea of love in their history, they have the idea of love and what they believe and what they ascribe to, and they have a bunch of other commands that back that up and show them how to love. So they know about love, and Jesus goes, I'm going to give you a new command. They're sitting there going, wait, we have like 600 commands. We have like a bunch of them that talk about love. We've been told multiple times throughout our scriptures and from our God and from our people that we're supposed to love people or that we have all these commands. You're going to give me a new command? Now up to this point, Jesus has already given them Two commands, love God, love people, and basically these are the same. Basically these are the same. So he makes those two ideas the same, and then he brings upon a third command, and he calls it a new command. And what he's about to unpack is a new type of love that has no line, that ultimately is designed for holistic relational restoration. It is designed, what Jesus is about to tell his disciples while he's having this last supper, this feast, he's about to tell them, this is the secret sauce. What I'm about to tell you, all the other commands you've heard, all of them, even the two that I've given you already, this is a new one that raises the standard and that is the secret sauce for how we're supposed to interact with one another. So you can imagine... A bunch of Jewish men sitting around, a Jewish rabbi who spent most of his life studying the Jewish scriptures, and so have they hearing the Jewish scriptures. They understand the big rules. They understand most of the small rules. And now he says, I'm going to add a new command, a new one. They're going, okay, this is big. This is big. A new command I give you. And he says this, love one another. Now they're going, 
He just said it different, but we know that one. He just said it different, but we know that command. We know that one. We've heard that one. That's, that's back here, and that's over here, and that's in Leviticus, and that's in, in Genesis, or, you know, that's the idea in Exodus. Like, we, 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 know, we, we know we're supposed to love one another. And then he adds a piece. You can just see him going, hey, guys, i got to tell you something new. I know you have 600 laws. I know you have the big ones. I know you understand what love is and all this stuff, but I have a new command for you. I need you to love one another. And you can hear Peter. You can hear him going, got it. Got it. Got it, I know what love is, I know what love is. And then he goes and he, he, he turns and faces him and he goes, as I have loved you. Now, the standard for how we're supposed to interact with one another is not how we think people want to be loved. It's not how we think other people should treat us. It's not how we think we should treat others and treat them the way they want to be treated and how we think they want to be treated. It's, there's a third party. There's a separate example that Jesus brings to the table. Stop looking at them for how you want to learn to be loved. Stop thinking about how you want to be loved. Now you have a separate example. It's how I have loved you. So now, for relationships, for love, the way that this works is no matter how you're interacting, no matter how you love, you are supposed to have your gauge, you are supposed to have your litmus test, you are supposed to have the bar be set at, if I am loving people the way that Jesus loved the disciples, now I'm loving. And ultimately, when the disciples hear this, they haven't experienced what we know now is coming next, the cross. But they're thinking about how Jesus has loved them. And so Jesus, if you start to think about how Jesus loved all these men, you could just go through story after story about Nathaniel and how he called him when he doubted him. And Matthew, how he was a tax collector and he loved him anyway. And Peter, how he yelled at him, but he brought him, kept him along. He just always loved them. Basically, he shows them, the way that I love you guys is you guys all crossed the line. You doubted where I came from. You doubted that I was, you know, going to be a king and going to be Messiah. You did this. You did this. And he goes, remember, you were a tax collector. You were, like, thrown away. I loved you. I had no line. I brought you into this circle. You're sitting here with me right now because I have no line. I have loved you. And then, even more emotional, even more potent, he says, remember to love one another. The new standard of love is how I've loved you. And he, he just finished washing all the disciples' feet. Which in that culture, like, like a servant would do. But now the king becomes the servant and washes the disciples' feet. And ultimately says, this is the new standard of what it means to be godly. It just went from Old Testament, follow a bunch of rules, holy to dirty. You really want to serve people? You really want to love people? Get dirty, wash people, love people, serve people. I've given you a new command that you should now look to me for your cue on how to love other people. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And then ultimately, you and I, as we read this passage, we know that Jesus hasn't even done his hallmark move for what love looks like. Because what love looks like is what is about to happen in the next day, and that is where Jesus goes to a cross. That's where Jesus, being perfect, being in the very form God didn't 
play the God card, didn't like say I'm going to act like I'm God, but literally took on all the sin of the world and he was perfect. He didn't deserve to be punished, but he was punished. He didn't deserve to be betrayed, but he was betrayed. He had every person that was close to him cross his line and he just took the beating, he took the pain because he had to die in order to defeat death. So Jesus goes to a cross, he defeats death, in the process of defeating death, his relationships break down, every single line crossing moment happens, you can imagine, he's betrayed, all the sin in the world happens, everything that you and I have done since the time you were born till now is put on the shoulders of Jesus, he takes the brunt. And he doesn't deserve anything. And if anyone ever could say, you guys crossed the line. Like, I'm holy. I'm God. You betray me. You turn your back on me. You sin against me. I'm holy. And I'm the one taking the punishment for you on the cross. I'm the one that's defeating death so that you guys can have life when you guys are the ones that brought death into life. How's this fair? We know when Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you. That he changed the standard to this. It's not about fair. It's about fatherly love. It's not about fair. It's about relationship. It's not about being right. It's about being right with people. It's not about thinking what they want and thinking what you want. It's what does Jesus say love looks like. You see, ultimately, Jesus doesn't have a line to be crossed. Just the cross. Jesus doesn't have a line, just the cross. He goes, hey, you can come straight up to me and you can smack me in the face. And you know what he's going to do? Give you the other side of his face. Because when Jesus started his ministry, he started off by saying, hey, guess what the kingdom of God is like? Guess what it's like? Guess what it's like? Someone hits you, turn the other cheek. What kind of love is that? That's no line love. That's no line love. You see, you and I, we have a line that that can be crossed, but Jesus challenges us all to cross out the line. Come on now. That's good. That hit me on Thursday. That's good. That's good for white middle America. That's good. We have a line that can be crossed, and Jesus put a cross right on the line and said, live like this, it's better. Why? For relationships, my friends, cross out your line. With the cross, get to that point where you consider that you might actually be offended, but God, who did nothing wrong, was offended, and he took the punishment. He took that on. You see, ultimately, what this is describing and the key, the heart, the centerpiece of what I see missing and what it means when you have a line that can be crossed is that you don't have and you don't understand and we don't fully grasp one word and that is this word, grace. We don't understand grace because we have a line and then when someone crosses it, they don't deserve our love. When someone crosses it, they don't deserve our love. Now grace, if you've heard the definition of grace, it's simply this. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Like when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us what we don't deserve. You see, the whole idea behind grace is understanding that you can do nothing to afford it. And once you understand there's nothing you could do to afford it, you start to understand grace because something that you could never do, that you don't get, that you don't earn on your own behalf, gets 
given to you, and with that restoration and refreshment comes because you go, I was dead, I was lost, I was buried without you. But the key to relationships, the thing that you need in life, the thing that I see when I'm sitting with couples that I watch on TV, that I watch on social media, the thing that I experience over and over and over again it's not the idea that we have a problem receiving grace. Man, like some people have a problem receiving grace when they don't understand their self-righteousness. I'm going to talk about that. But ultimately what I see is that most people don't understand grace is something that you're supposed to give to others. So grace starts out getting what we don't deserve. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful that I got what I don't deserve by being forgiven on the cross. But real cross grace, your life changing for the betterment of relationships is when we start to give what they don't deserve. It's when we start to actually look at the people around us and when they cross the line, we go, that's all right. The cross crossed out my line. Jesus didn't deserve what he got whether I deserve it or not doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You see, here's the truth about grace. Receiving grace is often way easier than dispensing it. Oh, man, I, I was forget, I, I messed up. Oh, God, thank you for forgiving me. Oh, I did that. I stepped over the line. Thank you. For, thank you. I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. I didn't deserve it. But ultimately, when we get challenged now, for when someone crosses our line, when we're supposed to give, we struggle. We struggle. And, and there's a lot of reasons that we struggle, and I just want to hit this one thing, and then I'm going to close this whole series down. The main reason that we struggle at dispensing grace, the main reason that we have a line that when someone crosses, we end relationship with, is something that's very scary, and it's called self-righteousness. You see, Jesus spent most of his time going after self-righteous religious leaders, People that believe that their behavior made them right with God. You see, when you believe that what you do makes you okay with God, then you think that someone can offend that. You think that somebody can cross your line. And you think, I did what I'm supposed to do, so you should do what you're supposed to do. I hold myself to an accountability of self-righteousness. I wipe my own sins away. Therefore, you need to wipe your sins away. And if you don't wipe your sins away, then we can't be in fellowship. You see, self-righteous people walk around believing, believing that they don't need God that much. They, be they believe that you need God that much. They go, oh man, I'm self-righteous. You need God we can't have a relationship unless you get your stuff together. And so if you're in the room today and you have a line, can I just, just warn you? That line means that you think that there's some level in you of righteousness that doesn't deserve to be offended. You see, when you compare that to Jesus who was fully righteous and then everyone crossed the line and he took it anyway, you have no leg to stand on anymore. You see, it's the self-righteous who struggle with the line. They set up a line, I'm holy, I'm right, don't cross my line. It's the Christ-righteous, the Christ-centered people that see grace as an opportunity. They see when they are offended. You see, the way Jesus saw the offenses was, if they can bring their sin to me, then I can forgive it and we can have a restored relationship. 
Because forgiveness and grace, it really only exists in the context of relationships. When you're forgiven or when you need grace, when you cross someone's line, someone has a decision to make about your relationship. They got they have to decide if they're going to forgive or if they're going to let that line become a wall. And so you and I have this battle to fight, go, do I believe that I'm righteous because I do a bunch of right things or do I believe that I'm righteous because Jesus Christ made me righteous and because he made me righteous, I have no line. I just want right relationships. I just want to forgive someone. When someone offends me, that's an opportunity to go and to broadcast love, to say this is what grace is all about. It doesn't need to be in existence if there aren't offenses. When offenses get high, grace can trump them. We can move in and go, you broke the rule. You crossed my line. But guess what? It's gone because I want a relationship with you. There's so many like quintessential examples of this type of grace. One of the most uh, amazing, hard to believe examples of this type of grace was in 2015 when there was a, the massacre in Charleston where there's 12 people in a prayer group at an uh, African American church and a young man walked in there with a gun while they were in a prayer service and he killed nine of the 12. Killed them. He got caught and went on trial. But when he was standing trial, those that lost their loved ones had an opportunity, you can watch it on YouTube, to actually speak to this man who did this horrendous crime and murdered all these people. And what it was is just the ultimate example of the line. I mean, you're talking about a line. You and I have the lines, political lines. We have these agendas. We have these ideas, opinions, whatever it is. This man came in and killed this woman, Nadine's mom. I mean, are you talking about crossing the line? Like, that is like one of those things. You shouldn't even have to speak that, right? In the human heart, that's like you cross the line. That's it. It's over. There's no forgiveness. There's no nothing, no restoration that can take place because you could not have crossed the line more. And what you hear, and you can go watch this on YouTube, is a beautiful story of grace. Where Nadine speaks about her 70-year-old mother, Ethel, who was murdered. And she says this. She says, I forgive you. The first words out of her mouth, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never ever hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You see, Nadine had already experienced the love of Jesus. She'd already been face to face with the cross. She had already seen her sins the unforgivable nature of her sins and how Jesus forgave them anyway. And the more that you spend time at the cross understanding your sin and that you can't forgive yourself, that you need Jesus to forgive you, the more your line gets erased and the more you just start to see relationships and beauty and peace and forgiveness. Because who am I not to forgive if Christ forgave me? And so my challenge, like this, this last thing and my burden for you guys as we just close in prayer 
is that you would pray with me these two things, that you would pray for God to move your line. Whatever it is, whatever that thing is, whatever, pick that person that's crossed it and just start to move it closer and ultimately pray this, that God would remove your line. And that no matter what, that you could see people and you could see when you're offended, when, you, when someone does that thing, when they move across the line, that you have an opportunity to shower them with grace. And it's harder, man. It is easy to receive, but it's harder to give. And the more you go to the, the God of the universe who gave us grace in the midst of our sin, the more you can reprogram your mind to do the same whenever your line is crossed. So I just want to take a minute, and I just want to sing with you guys and sing about the, the greatness of God's love. Would you guys just stand up with me? We're going to sing this verse and this chorus together. Just sing it with me. Sing. How great, how great, how great is your love. Sing it out. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. Sing it again. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love for us. Sing, there has never been. God, that you just erased it with the cross. We pray, Father, that as we view our relationships, that as we look at the battles, as we look at the, just the life, the crossroads, and the conflict, and all the different things that you're leading us towards, God, that we would just not have a line, that we would be the most grace-filled people, that we would have a new commandment that drives us, that it's not what they want, it's not what I want, it's what you want, that that would be the guide. Father, be our guide. Help us to lay down our lives for one another. Help us to forgive 
Help us to find peace. Father, we thank you so much that your love is so great that while we were sinners, you died for us and erased the line. You crossed out our sin and you offer that type of living to every single one of us. You didn't just come to make a way for eternity, but to make a life on earth for all of us, to live a better life, to forgive one another, to live in peace, to live in harmony. Your great love becomes our great love. Father, we worship you today. We thank you so much. Help us to find the heart of Christ in every relationship, in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. See you next week for Seasons.